So this whole kind of 30-year anniversary, it's not, it's not what you think it is. So it's not about honoring me or, or Connie or even a few. It is, here's what it is. It is an excuse or an opportunity to just stop and thank God for all the goodness, isn't it? To try to give some people credit, A, would be wrong, and B, to be impossible because so many have contributed so much. But it's really about God. So we get in life, we get going fast, and, and we're always looking forward, which is generally a good thing. But sometimes you just stop and look back and go, wow, look what God has done, right? And that's what this is about. It's about us looking back, what has God done, and just take courage and encouragement from that. And maybe if you're here today and life is rough, maybe you could look at somebody like me or some George or some of the people up here and go, wow, if God could use them. <laughs> Actually, what we hope you do is you look and you go, you know what, if somebody will be obedient to God over a long period of time, he can do amazing things in them and through them. If a group of people will commit to a long obedience over a lifetime, we can bring change. We can bring hope to hundreds of people. That's what this is about. Now, before I go further, I just want to acknowledge a couple things. Uh, one, you never get where you are on your own. Uh, not only do you have traveling people, uh, uh, mates, but you also have those who have gone before because you stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before. And I just want to acknowledge something. So what you're hearing a lot about is, is the seacoast side of our family because that's kind of where Connie and I, that's the side we came from. But, but we're a blended family. And so I want to acknowledge some things so that we can uh, uh, celebrate even a, a greater picture than, than what you've seen so far. And uh, so 1925, there was a church started in North Long Beach called North Long Beach Brethren. Uh, yeah, all right, we've got a few North Long Beach people here, all right. And, uh, and somehow, it, it, through, through a couple of mergers, you, that church ended up being a part of this campus. In 1980, I believe it is, um, they, there was another church started in Rossmore called Grace Brethren Church. And uh, yeah, it's a good few grace people here. Very cool. And, and that also uh, became a part of this church. And those two churches merged. And in 1990, they moved on this campus. And then in 2002, we who were down at the Seal Beach uh, and Seacoast uh, moved up here to be a part of this thing. And that's how we kind of all got here. All right. So now here's what I know. 50% of you, according to our survey, 50% of you are new in the last five years. So now you're caught up on family history. Okay. You feel good about that? So what God has been doing, God's been up to for a while now. And here's what we believe. And you're going to hear about the next weeks. Not only are we going to look back and thank God for what's happened in the last 30 years, we're going to look forward and try to anticipate and ask God to do even more amazing things in the next 30 years because God's not done yet, right? And so that's a part of what this is about. So we're going to have a great time the next weeks. Now, don't miss the next weeks. We're going to be sharing some things with you. We're not just looking back. We're also going to be looking forward. We're going to be sharing some things with you in the next few weeks you haven't heard and you won't hear probably anywhere else. And about our future, and we're very excited about it, and, and uh, yeah, we're going to invite you to be a part of it, so it's going to be fun. So um, anyway, uh, just, just quickly, a little more family business. Quickly, last week, at the beginning of the uh, sermon, there were some pictures shown, <laughs> and, and because this is a church, and we're all about love, I just thought it was completely inappropriate, and I just want you to go, I would never, ever stoop so low as to make someone, make fun of someone for the weight they've gained, okay? I've just, I wouldn't... <laughs> I wouldn't do that because that wouldn't be nice. Uh, the other thing I wouldn't do is I wouldn't make fun of somebody's hairstyle at some point in the past because that would be rude. <laughs> and I would never stoop so low as to suggest that maybe somebody married way over their head. I'm just saying. 
Okay, enough said. I wouldn't do that. So, <laughs> the passage that George read. I love George reading. Isn't it great having George here reading the scripture? I love that. What George said about us maintaining a friendship over the years, and he and Connie and, and I, and, and now his wife Tiffany, who's the one I actually like. Um, uh, we now lead uh, trips together in, to Israel. We have one going in April. If you ever get a chance to go on one, you'll love it. George is brilliant. He's been there many, many times. I just go along for the ride, but we have fun. And, uh, and yeah, we're still buds. And it's something our society needs to learn. In an age when, yeah, if we disagree, we, uh, I was thinking, we started our church during the new age, and now we're in the age of rage. Because everybody's looking for a reason to be mad at somebody and to be wounded. And the truth is that real relationship, real love lasts, even through disagreements. A little thing we need to learn as a society. I'll do a whole sermon on that, but I'll let George do it next time he comes. So um, in this passage, I think, I, I believe, I can't prove it, I believe this is the first passage I spoke about on that first Sunday, September 10th, 1989. Little church, rotted pews, door falling out, door falling out on that side too, purple windows. And... Uh, uh, I remember um, just so full of fear <laughs> and excitement at the same time, hoping somebody would show up that day and then hoping people would show up someday. And, but I remember such high aspirations for our church because we wanted to be a church, not like we'd come from necessarily, because we felt like God was calling us to do a little different thing. Uh, same Jesus, same Lord, same Bible, uh, but we needed to present it a little differently, and we just believed that if we could be a little more like the, the New Testament church, the early church, and this passage, and what John and Peter did here really exemplified that for me. So I just want to share a couple of thoughts uh, that I still believe. I believe then, and I believe now, and hope for then, and hope for now. And, and the first one is, it's found in verse 13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John. Important word, courage, by the way. We all know uh, the, when Christ was on trial, Peter denied Christ. The rest of the disciples were on the run. Not a lot of courage being shown. But we know that after the resurrection, something happened. They suddenly changed. Something in them changed. A few weeks ago, David Wood said that it was their martyrdom that convinced them that they were telling the truth. Uh, it convinced him they were telling the truth. For me, I have to be honest with you, that's kind of cool, but, but their change of character, because character change is so rare and so hard. If you've tried to change your own habits, much less your actual character, you know how difficult it is. And these disciples went from cowards to standing up in front of the very same people, not just generally the people, the exact people who sent Jesus to the cross and wanted to do the same to them. And they stood up and they spoke with courage. I believe that one of the greatest evidences of God's work in our life as he changes our character. I love that. And this, they had courage. I, I had hoped for, and I still believe, that we are and we are to be and become more so people who, are, who have obviously been with Jesus. It's interesting, that passage, they said they had courage, and they attributed to the fact they took note they had been with Jesus. When we spend time with Jesus, we become different people. When we spend time with Jesus, not just one time, when we spend day after day in God's word and prayer, just obedience one step after the other, it's a long obedience, we become more like Jesus. That's what we do. And these people noticed it. I think we become courageous. Just regular folks, so impacted by Jesus that we, we get up courage. We get up the courage to deal with our stuff. We get up the courage to acknowledge we have stuff. Some of you still think you don't have stuff. I'm just here to tell you person next to you tell you. Anybody who knows you, I'll tell you. You got stuff, okay? So we get the courage to deal with our stuff, to let Jesus in, to bring hope and healing and, and change. And then we have the, the opportunity, and if we have the courage, we step into the opportunity to help others deal with their stuff. 
And as we do that, we begin to see other folks begin to change, begin to experience life change. And before you know it, 30 years are up and hundreds of people have been affected because a few people decided to get courageous. And then a few more, and then a few more. I think of the many people over the years who have had the courage to finally admit their addiction, to admit their marriage is in trouble, and to get help, uh, to admit whatever woundedness they were carrying with them, whatever it was. Or I think about the many people over the years who have had the courage to step forward and say, I need Jesus. I finally realized that I am a sinner. I am broken. I need Jesus to forgive me, to heal me, and to give me heaven forever. I was thinking about uh, a couple of them. And then, and then on the courtyard, some more people brought some more to mind. One was, uh, it, it was in the other building across the courtyard here, uh, the old auditorium, and we, the, and we, we built a beach like, like sand. The custodians hated me for a long time. Um, we built a whole beach like truckloads of sand. And we brought it in, and, and I don't, the, the point of it was that, that when Jesus forgives us, so a lot, I, I a lot of people carrying guilt around that God's already forgiven them. So when, when, when you receive forgiveness from Christ, you are forgiven, period, done deal, it's over, right? And so we were trying to illustrate and help people to be free of their past and the guilt which, which the enemy would always bring to their mind and bear, you know, kind of bring them down. Or whatever. And, and so we had them come and write in the sand. I mean, it was a lot of sand. And, and they would come and write it. And then at the end, they sang this song. And during the song, I thought it'd be cool uh, if I just took a little kind of bunch of sticks put together like a broom and I just wiped them off, symbolizing your sins are no longer. The Bible says God's buried them in the deepest sea, right? And so as I did that, I thought, this is cool. And then I looked behind me and the audience was in tears. There were people crying. And, and I, just, I realized how powerful it was for people to be, to be, to be released from guilt, because we all carry guilt with us, right? And so last night in the courtyard, I, I kind of get an illustration, and a guy comes to me last night, he goes, and he starts crying. And it's a business guy, very successful business guy, and, he, and, and, and he's standing there with his wife and his two almost grown kids, uh, and late teens, and, looked like, and, and, and he says, I was at that service, I'll tell you when it was, and he says, and the song was, and he named the band, and he named the song, and he says, let me tell you what happened, and he starts crying, last night. And, and, and he goes, that night, God showed me how much I'd been putting work in front of him and in front of my family and that I was destroying my family and that if I didn't change, I was going to lose everything that I really cared about. He said that night, from that night, and he's crying, and his wife's nodding. Yes, this is true. His kids are nodding. He says from that, that day, he said it was the end of summer, and I had blown the whole summer. I'd worked the whole summer, not spending time with my family. He said, I committed, and I have, with God's help, from that point, never once put my work, and successful guy, successful guy, a lot of responsibility. I have never once put my work in front of my family. His wife's like, that's true, that's true. I'm like, that took courage. Man, that took guts for you to step up to that. He said, I wrote that in the sand. You wiped it out. I said, I'll never do that again. You see, it takes courage to step up to your stuff. It takes courage to let God in. I, I did other, other, one day in this room, we wrote down stuff that we needed to get beyond, and we handed it to somebody. And, 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 and one of our serving elders read it and said, you're forgiven. I did it. I thought it was a cool thing. I started crying. It's so powerful to know how forgiven you are. When you have the courage to step up, to let God forgive you. I think of the hundreds, and it may be more, who have stepped up and said, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I don't have it all together. I need Jesus in my life. That takes courage. When you, when you come to be with Jesus, you become more courageous. Another thing that I, I, I believe for then and I believe for now is that we would be a, the kind of people who cared about those who need healing. In that passage, it says, if you're putting this on trial, Peter says, if you're putting this on trial for an act of kindness done to this man, 
Now, what's interesting about this is it wasn't, if you read the previous chapter, this guy had been a beggar his whole life. And in many societies, impoverished societies, the only chance they have is to beg. Been a beggar his whole life. And he says to Peter and John, um, you know, and they said, we don't have silver or gold, but what we got, we'll give you. And what they had was Jesus and the power of the resurrection. And, and so he's explaining why they did it. So here's what they weren't doing. They weren't showing off. We got power. We could do tricks. Right? They weren't trying to impress anybody. The reason they reached out to this guy, because he was broken and he knew that Jesus' power could heal him. I love it when we understand that we have been saved not just for ourselves, but for others. And we, out of kindness, out of caring for others, I love when we reach beyond ourselves. Right now, there's a whole group of people caring for, uh, for children, uh, special needs children. And when I say caring, believe me, it, it is not the easiest thing in the world. For example, I walked in there a few months ago. I may have told you about this. I can't remember. I walked in there a few months ago, and there's a guy. I don't know his name. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I think I do, but I don't want to risk it. But I walk in, and as a guy, an adult, uh, looks like a business guy, if I were to guess, a business guy. I walk in, and there's a, 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 a teen, special needs, uh, early teen, I think, if I remember right, uh, sitting on the floor, and this guy is rubbing his feet. And I'm going, okay. And so I called the director, Cindy, does a great job out there. I said, what? He goes, oh, that's, and she names the young man. And, says, and he gets very agitated. He gets very upset. And part of what they deal with is kids who don't manage activity and so on well. And he says, and the thing that calms him down is if you rub his feet. And she named the volunteer, comes every week and rubs his feet and talks to him. Are you serious? That's, that's like biblical. Right? Jesus talked about washing feet. What about rubbing feet of a special needs young man who it calms him down so he can hear the stories of the Bible and that Jesus loves him? I'm just telling you, there are people like that around here. Royal Family Kids Camp. We got this thing we did in 20 some years, 20 some years. Uh, uh, Royal Family Kids Camp. It's for abused and neglected kids in the foster care system. They do this thing every camp, they do a birthday, everybody's birthday, because a lot of the kids in foster care never have a birthday party. Things that my grandkids, we had one last week. My grandkids take for granted the birthday party these kids have never had because they weren't raised in a family. Foster parents may not even know where their birthday is, much less give them a party. So they do a party for everybody. I cannot attend. That is one party I cannot attend because I went once and I was, I was the worst party attender because I bawled like a baby. I cried like a baby. I can't really even go to the camp because it just, it tears me up. I just can't believe that these kids have been treated and experienced the terrible things they've experienced. It just, it just ruins me. I can't go. And in that party, I definitely can't go to. And yet we've got people who take a week out of their lives and go, I love on these kids. And these kids can be bratty. They can, be, they can act out in the worst ways. And yet these people understand. They know what's going on and love them for a week. Are you kidding me? When God's people begin to understand that it's God's kindness that brings us to repentance, that's what the Bible says, and that God's kindness shown through us when we share that with others, things happen. Amazing things happen. That's what happened in the early church. That's what happened in the early part of our church. And that's what's still happening and is going to happen, I believe, even in greater measure going forward. And then in verse 18, it says, we want you guys, and they said, we can't preach anymore. And here's what Peter says. Which is right in God's eyes? And he says, to listen to you or him. God's people make this their life goal to do what is right in God's eyes. 
not is what ex- not what is expedient, not what is comfortable, not what's going to make me money. Our first consideration is what is right in His eyes. Well, I don't want to cause any conflict. What is right in God's eyes? What is right? And so, a part of what they they just set out to do, they became very kind of uh, um, uh, missional people. I believe the Christians ought to be missional. Our entire lives ought to be about the kingdom because it's the only thing that brings any real hope and change in the world. Government can be good, can be bad. It is not powerful like Jesus is, right? Medicine, I believe in medicine. I take aspirin. I take what I need. But at the end of the day, my real needs, the real healing needs to take place in my life is found in Jesus. And we become missional and we begin to live that out in powerful ways. Here's what happened to Peter. Peter's standing at that moment. He goes, what is right in God's eyes? He says, by the way, here's what's going on in Peter's mind. I, I know. He's, he's, a few weeks ago, I did what was not right in God's eyes, and that felt terrible because I denied Jesus. I'm not making, I'm not getting derailed again. You guys aren't, if I have to die for this thing, I'm not, I'm not messing up again because what I've seen, they saw the resurrection. What changed Peter is he saw the resurrection, and once you see the resurrected Savior, you can't go back to being who you were before. You can't stay on the sidelines. I love when God's people suddenly get a vision of Jesus and can't stay on the sidelines anymore. There's a couple that sat right in that seat last service. And they, one day, they have a special needs son. He's one of our elders. And one day, he just couldn't stay on the sidelines anymore. And so he started doing stuff. He helped start Champions Club. He started a baseball uh, league for special needs kids in the local community. Ended up getting voted on city council. Now he's helping lead our city uh, and, and trying to be a godly influence because you can't stay on the sidelines anymore. There's a teacher right now teaching a first grade class and her husband is teaching. He's also one of our elders. She took retirement after 30 years of teaching, but she couldn't stay on the sidelines. Now she's running first grade. My granddaughter's in there, loves it. They are killing it because when you see Jesus, you can't stay on the sidelines. A few years ago, Cody and I and, and, a, and a bunch of you, 50 some of you, went to Africa. And Cody and I went up north to see these child soldier thing. And they were capturing children in, in southern Sudan, northern Uganda. And they were capturing them, doing atrocities. You can't, I can't say out loud. And we saw that. And we came back. And we were so broken by that. We raised. And within a couple of weeks, we raised over $400,000. Because when you know Jesus, you can't stay on the sidelines. Right? Well, we've got 30 years history of not staying on the sidelines. I hope we have another 30 years that are even better because all of us get off the sidelines because when you know Jesus, that's what happens. Then you, then you find that in verse 21, and I know we're a little bit over, but it's 30 years. Give me a break. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, we find that the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. But before that, um, in the middle of this passage, around 13, I think it was, you find that he was standing there. So here's Peter and John, and this poor guy has just been healed after 40 years, had to spend his first night being able to walk, walk around in a jail cell. But he was probably so grateful he didn't care. And here's the problem. These guys wanted to hang Peter and John on a cross, just like they did Jesus, but they couldn't because the evidence was standing right there. The people wouldn't believe him that it was a lie because it wasn't a lie because the guy was standing right there. You know what you and I are in the world we live in? We are evidence standing you may be in a family right now that won't deal with this dysfunction, but you're standing as evidence that one can become whole and healed and healthy, and you're standing as evidence. Maybe you are a spouse who's married to an unbelieving spouse, and you're standing as evidence that God's unconditional love can flow through an individual and touch another individual, and you're believing for that, and you're standing as evidence. Maybe you're standing as evidence in a culture that wants to dismiss your faith or worse yet, destroy your faith. 
that wants to put you down and inhibit you from exhibiting your faith in any way, and yet you are standing as evidence that God's love changes lives. Maybe you're a person like me who has all kinds of, all kinds of temptations, temptations that would cause you to fall, but in the power of God, daily prayer, reading God's word, you are standing, not falling, you are standing as evidence of God's goodness, God's keeping power in your life. You are standing. Maybe this church in the years to come, we're going to tell you about some things and, and, and some stuff that's coming up about what's being anticipated about the future in the next couple generations coming up that's going to shock you. And we're going to tell you right now that we are going to stand. We're going to stand as evidence of God's love and the truth of God's love in a society that will decreasingly appreciate it, increasingly be against it. And we will stand, and you're going to stand. And that's what we're called to do, to stand as evidence of God's love. It wasn't just the early church that Jesus promised to use. It was this church. And it wasn't just the last 30 years, it's the next 30 years. And we're grateful for what he's done and we're excited about what he's going to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord God, we love you and we thank you. If you could use a ragtag group of guys you called the disciples, then you can use me and you can use us. And you have and you are and you will and we're so grateful. Today, Lord God, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you or isn't sure about a relationship with you, I pray they just look around and see the rest of us. We may not look like much now, but we, weren't, we were even less before. You are working in us and on us, and we're so grateful. Lord, a long obedience accomplishes a lot. And so, Lord, help us to be obedient. And if there are people here who don't know you, I pray that today they begin their journey of obedience. Who knows what you could do in them, in their families, in their lives over the next 30 years. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.